0: Max Verstappen passes Lewis Hamilton on the final lap of the final race of 2021 to make himself the new world champion. My name is Michael Amanato and welcome to the final race of 2021, the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. For Apex Race Manager, the mobile race simulator, download it for free for iOS and Android. Lewis Hamilton dominated 57 of 58 laps of the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix after snatching the lead from pole sitter and title rival Max Verstappen at the start. But with the chequered flag in sight, a safety car turned the race on its head. With five laps to go, Nicholas Latifi crashed his Williams at Turn 14 and Verstappen was straight into the pits to switch to a fresh set of softs. Hamilton was in control of the race, but not by enough to stop without losing the lead. His advantage had been diminished by a thrilling battle with Sergio Perez after his first stop, which kept Verstappen in touch and immediately validated Red Bull's decision to hire the Mexican for 2021. But would there be time enough to restart the race? There wasn't, and then there was. Then lapped cars, including five between Hamilton and Verstappen, couldn't overtake the safety car, but then they could, and suddenly the two title rivals were lying astern on the track. The race resumed and in the end it was an easy pass, the new softs easily outgunning the Mercedes' old hearts. It was heartbreak for Hamilton, but title glory for new world champion Max Verstappen. To help unpack how the 2021 World Championship was decided in Max's favour, I'm joined by former F1 driver Alex Jung. Alex, welcome to the Strategy Report. Yeah, good to be here, man. What a night. What a night. What a... Well, maybe many weeks. Maybe (laughs) we shouldn't get ahead of ourselves. Who knows how long this one's going to go for. But yes, let's just stick to what Mm. happened uh, last night on Sunday night in Abu Dhabi. Uh, The championship was decided in really chaotic and dramatic fashion. Before we get to that end of the race, we are going to have to unpack exactly what happened at the end of the race. There was so much hype coming into this Grand Prix off the back of, of course, 21 rounds in which these teams are really closely matched. And practice sort of seemed to suggest one thing that Mercedes was doing quite well uh, then, of course, Verstappen managed to get pole with a great lap. Just before before we talk about pole, though, I think I want to take a slightly unusual direction with this episode. I actually want to talk about Sergio Perez. A great deal. More than you may have expected before coming on this episode. Perez's influence in this race started in, in practice, didn't it? Because he's been quite good at running different setups in practice. Ultimately, is his setup Verstappen used in qualifying. Way back last year when they hired Perez, this was the kind of thing they wanted him for, right? The guy who could help Max win a championship. Does this vindicate his whole year now that he was able to influence in this way? Definitely. Absolutely.
1: Um, You know, Perez did exactly what what they needed to, you know. Um, And especially this late in the year when he's not really fighting for a position in the driver's championship, they could use him to try more setup stuff to help Verstappen. I mean, you often do see teams going in slightly different directions in practice uh, because they can cover more more adjustments, more setup stuff um, and get crew more data. But I, I think Perez went to the nth degree there. You know, he wasn't even bothered about his lap time. It was just about trying to find data for Verstappen. And I have to say, you know, Perez did have that wobble mid-year, didn't he? Where he just wasn't getting the results and he felt, okay, well, the Constructors' title is slipping away from Red Bull. But just towards the end of the season, he's picked up his results again. And, and okay, Red Bull didn't win the Constructors' title, but they got a lot closer. And more importantly, Perez's pace was good enough that he could directly influence some of the on-track racing.
0: Qualified fourth as well, which I thought was really critical on a weekend that Bottas qualified sixth and fundamentally counted himself out of this race. We'll mention that in just a second as well, because I do want to talk about Verstappen's ultimate qualifying lap. He was on the low downforce setup, yet he was fastest in the third sector where it's normally all about downforce. Had a little bit of help from Perez with the toe again, so there was that extra element for Perez there. But... This seemed to be, after you know the, the disappointment of Jeddah in qualifying for Verstappen, a really emphatic response to that, getting pole in a car that shouldn't have been a pole car. Uh, the conditions sort of brought it back to Red Bull, dialed the understeer out as the track cooled. But what have you made of the way per, uh, Verstappen has measured up to Hamilton in qualifying this year? We, we consider Hamilton to be the best qualifier of all time. Certainly statistics say as much, but... This felt like this was a meaningful pole for Verstappen beyond just the context of this race. I
1: totally agree. Um, I mean, to beat Hamilton is something, you know, and the way Verstappen's been doing it has been very impressive. You know, the Jeddah pole, okay, he didn't get pole at Jeddah, but almost getting pole was pretty special. Um, And, um, you know, in Abu Dhabi, again, it was very good indeed. You know, you mentioned Verstappen being quickest in the last sector and, yeah, getting that pole position. I mean, those are the sort of corners the Red Bull have been strong at the whole year. And he is running the like, the, the lower downforce. Um, I think in my my view, although the rear wings are very similar, I don't think Red Bull is running anything near the sort of downforce of Mercedes. Because Mercedes have that trick rear suspension that gives them great straight line speed. They can overall run more downforce on that car. So that does mean, though, that the Red Bull has enough in it that over that one lap, you know, to fire up the tires and be quick in those sl- in, the, in that third sector, he can, he can do it. He can get pole. He can almost get pole in Jeddah. But then, when it comes to the race, I think that car being a little bit light on downforce, and we know how Pirellis are very sensitive to cars sliding across the gra- across the track. And because it's light on downforce, and it does slide across the track, you can see the tire wear is not as good as the Mercedes, and and that, that's where Red Bull have been vulnerable in the last few races.
0: And that absolutely came to the fore with their disappointment in Q2 to go back just one step, where the medium tyre was called for for the front runners. That's been the case here for a couple of years, even on this new configuration that's been the case. The medium was the better tyre for the one-stop. Verstappen locked up a weird... Sort of uncharacteristic one, a weird place to lock up as well, turn one at this track. Even I thought uh, it was interesting, Hamilton suggested it was some kind of conspiracy that they didn't want to start on it, but wanted to trick everybody, which was a little bit outlandish. But it seemed like in the first end of the race, you know, the soft tyre didn't really count for anything either. There was no grip off the line. He lost position at the start. Mm. It seemed like he really needed to hold track position to make that soft tyre work. Yep. How important was that, at least at this point in the race, yeah. without getting ahead of the safety car, was yeah. that to the entire next 57 laps?
1: Okay, I'm going to go slightly differently. I'm actually seeing that Verstappen having a couple small errors creeping into his game. Uh-huh. This whole year I've said that Verstappen's almost practically immune to pressure, and the way he's been operating, the way his mental approach has been, has been perfect for me. Not maybe media friendly shall we say but the way he's been so focused has been very good mm-hmm. but in jedi we saw his first crack yeah. i thought where he, you know he he went off on the last corner when he was what three tenths up from getting pulled that was the first serious mistake i've seen from the mm-hmm. and then in abu Dhabi, that careless medium tire in q2 snatching the front brake on a second lap he didn't need to take mm-hmm. i mean the conspiracy theories are saying it was intentional <laughs> and he just didn't want to run the mediums wanted to try and play games I don't believe that at all. You know, the, that's too correct. That's just too far out. <laughs> the drivers and teams need to be focused on results only. That for me was another Verstappen mistake. And then you can say another mistake is the starts. I'm not sure that's Verstappen mistake. I think that just might be the teams getting the clutch bite point wrong, just the way it goes in the second phase and stuff. But actually, it's, the, the starts have come from the first phase. Both starts in Jeddah and Abu Dhabi were poor. You know, Max is only getting in front because he's crazy. He's so aggressive into turn one. But his starts were poor. And it wasn't, for me, Mercedes having great starts. It was, it was Verstappen in the Red Bull. And both Red Bulls having poor starts in Jeddah. And we could definitely see that first phase of, of Verstappen just couldn't get off the line. Whereas Hamilton had a nice, clean start. So you can see a couple of cracks coming into the Red Bull armory. I'm going to say Red Bull jointly as a team, including Verstappen. Um, but they just managed to get it off the line. You know, Verstappen in that last lap. Anyway, we'll get back to that in a second. But he... he he managed to bring it over, but he wasn't perfect. He wasn't as perfect as everyone thinks.
0: I think that is an interesting point. I, it was really tempting to say that after Jeddah, wasn't it, to cast our minds back to that, that you know, it, was a, it was a crash in Q3. They didn't even need to be pushing that hard at that last corner. Pole was in the bag. and. It just feels like occasionally towards the end of this year, you know, he was so infamous for overdriving early in his career, wasn't it? And as the pressure's amped up, I don't know if it's necessarily that he feels the pressure, but yeah. maybe just falling into old habits as he needs mm. to rely on his gut instinct, perhaps. And yeah. I do wonder what kind of a Stappen we'll get next year yeah. once the title is sort of under his belt. Will we see a completely yeah. different version of him?
1: Well, so I, his small mistakes, these tiny little mistakes, they're not for me, it's not, they're not, what do you call it? They're, they're not, um, they're not big mistakes. Mm-hmm. Any other driver, I'd be expecting big mistakes. Remember Vettel in 2018, yeah. when he crashed every time he got close to the sta- uh, Hamilton, when he, you know, towards the end of the season, and he just kind of fell apart. A four-time world champion fell apart. That's what happens to normal drivers, you know? Verstappen, <laughs> for me, has not been cracking at all. These small mistakes are such infinite amount, you know, but big consequences. So I, I can't say they're cracks. Um, and, then, and the fact that he was able to take the world championship says he did not crack. But mm-hmm. there's such small mistakes um, that you just kind of notice because you're just kind of picking on, you know. And, who, you know, you can't blame them. You know, the surprise, the intensity of both drivers have been having the whole year. To be honest, Hamilton's cracked more times. Yeah. You know, he's made mistakes. Baku, the, the, the brake magic and going off and getting no points when he was poised to win that race, you know. Uh, and there were a couple other mistakes. So, so this, this does happen when the championship ramps up. But back to what you were saying about what sort of step is going to come next year. I can't wait. Because there's the neutral side of me that's glad that Max Verstappen won. Because if Hamilton had won, we'd go into next year going, oh, what a great year we had. Hamilton won. And it looks like we're having a great rivalry. Looks like we're having a great rivalry. But now Verstappen has won. We do have a great rivalry. We've got two drivers who are now world champions. Very different kettle of fish. And um, the way they've been going at it, I'm more interested to see what Hamilton's going to do next year. Because the whole second half this year, Hamilton's been dodging... Verstappen bullets basically because <laughs> Verstappen's been able to charge in because he's leaving the championship, he can afford the contact. Hamilton can't, so Hamilton's been like dodging these bullets. But Hamilton knows how to race hard, remember? Just remember Silverstone. Silverstone, I- I'm calling Hamilton the-, the Floyd Mayweather of Formula One right now, <laughs> very good defender, you know. But when he wants to, he can get you get you on the chin a bit like he did with Verstappen and Silverstone. Now it's going to be a new year. I got a feeling Hamilton's like, right, I got to stamp my mark on this Max Verstappen. And I got a feeling Hamilton's going to come out of the blocks next
0: year. Yeah, I mean, we can all remember how it went last time he lost the title to Nico Rosberg, really stepped up the following year and ever since. So the next version of Hamilton, you're right, will be fascinating. I want to talk about, again, just that first lap, down to turn six, though. This was one of the flashpoints of this race. It could have been much bigger. I thought this was going to be the crash that we all thought was going to happen. Verstappen blocks the road fundamentally, takes the widest line from a long way back, but keeps on the track as opposed to some of his other ambitious moves we've seen in the last couple of rounds. Hamilton cuts the corner, though. Gives back some of the advantage, doesn't give back the position, obviously, and is ultimately not asked to. This has proved really divisive. Maybe not in the end important because it seems like Hamilton's pace was so strong in that first stint anyway on the medium tyre, but what did you make of that call in what is, I guess, the last of a long line of... Uh, maybe we can say consistently inconsistent calls over the last few races? We'd need a whole different episode
1: just to talk about what's been <laughs> happening with the race control and race stewards, you know, because race director is a bit different from what the race stewards do. Mm. Race stewards are the, are the referees. Um, yeah, that, t- that turn six thing, I-, I thought Hamilton was wrong. He should have given the position back um, quite clearly, you know. But if the, the way the stewards did it, um, was maybe more consistent with Brazil, mm-hmm. but it's totally not consistent with, Ab- <laughs> with Jeddah. What happened to Jeddah? I thought, okay, he's got to give the possession back. You know, simple. But he didn't give the position back. And I thought, wow, that's so dumb. That's so crazy. And, but it's more consistent with what happened with Brazil. But even then, he should still give the position back because Verstappen made the track. You know, it wasn't like both of them went off the track. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, yeah, this inconsistency, it's, it's frustrating because it can be fixed. I mean, you're there in Australia. You know, the Australians are very specific about how they write the rules and the driver code, just like the Americans. So you always know where you are. You know, they have proper series um, marshals and stewards. So the, the teams and drivers always know where they are. In Europe, it's very different. They, they're very lax on these sort of things. They kind of say this, and they mean this. And, and there's a lot of here neither here nor there. And that's especially what's happened in Formula One right now. So I was very surprised they didn't make Hamilton give that, that place back.
0: In the end, he may well have got past anyway with the pace of that car. We'll never know, of course. But the second stint came pretty quickly. Verstappen could only get to lap 13. The target was a little bit longer than that on those soft tyres. But lap 13, he was out of undercut range. He had nothing to lose but to stop. Did drop behind Carlos Sainz for a couple of laps. Did cost him a little bit of time, but not too much at the end of the day. Hamilton covered very easily on lap 14. And now I want to bring Sergio Perez back into this conversation because for me, this is where the race was. To a certain extent, won or lost by Lewis Hamilton. Perez is defending on lap 20 and lap 21 Was arguably the highlight of the race Because okay there was a lot of chaos at the end But it was a pretty simple pass by Verstappen at the end This was the most racing we almost got in this Grand Prix I, I can't help but wonder what's in Hamilton's mind at a point like this Because okay Perez is not a lapped car but he's on really old tyres He He's not on Hamilton's pace Should be an easy move He knows Red Bull's going to be playing every card What do you suspect the mindset was like for Hamilton as he not only tried to pass Perez, but saw Verstappen close from nine seconds to 1.2 in his mirrors at this point in the race?
1: Okay. um, Yeah, even me as a driver, I wonder that, you know, (laughs) because I'm watching that and I thought, oh, he's going to get frustrated. But must remember, this is an elite athlete at the top of his game. So he had prepared for this already. You know, he'd have had this in his mind. he knew it would be coming. He'd have seen, all right, Perez is there. He's going to make it difficult for me. I said, he'll be driving. And God, he's making it difficult for me. But, um... Yeah, he would have just gone on with it. You know, you could both tell both of them quite interestingly. When things didn't go against him, the next radio communication, they might be like, oh, okay, he's been too aggressive. or Oh, he should get the position back. But the next message after that, completely calm. Mm. Both of them were completely focused. They were going to race right to the line without any sort of hesitation. But I agree, Perez did make that race. Because if Perez had not done that, I think Hamilton would have had a 20, 25-second yes. gap over Verstappen, might have been able to cover him. You know, if Verstappen went for the hards, the second set of hards, maybe they could have covered that and safety car came out they could have covered that, you know, but because Verstappen was within distance, they couldn't cover those pit stops. And, and that meant he had the old tires at the end.
0: And that's exactly right. That's the way I see this second half of the race unfolding, right? Because the virtual safety car on lap 36 for Antonio Giovanazzi, oh, for Kimi Raikkonen and Antonio Giovinazzi, both alphas retired. A uh, very disappointing race for them, quite clearly. Uh, Verstappen was able to do what both Verstappen and Hamilton were considering in ordinary race conditions and take that second stop. It was a cheaper stop, though, which meant it was harder for Hamilton to cover because Perez had cost him that time, around seven seconds in the middle of the race. Likewise, near the end, around the safety car, that time was also missing, because Sergio Perez held him up in the race. And I can't help but think that both that second stop for for Verstappen, for the, the new set of hards, and even... To a lesser extent, I mean, safety cars make everything a little bit sort of random to an extent. But even that, that third stop, there was no Valtteri Bottas in play here to prevent Verstappen from kind of doing what he wanted. I mean, the last two stops, or well, certainly that second stop was a bit of a Hail Mary move, right? Because there was sort of nothing to lose and maybe he'd gain. In the end, it wasn't fast enough. But nothing stopped him from doing that.
1: Absolutely. Um, I think that's one thing Lewis looked back and go, I really wish Bottas had oh, yeah. been there. Because uh, he couldn't have done more. You know, Hamilton defended hard. He got the position back. He raced well. He was quick. The Verstappen had no answer for him. He did everything right. right. Um, but he still lost the race, didn't he? He still lost the championship. And I don't. I look back, I don't think he could have done anything else, mm-hmm. you know, to what was happening at that moment. Um, but if he'd had Bottas there, Bottas was in P3 or even P2, it would be a different kettle of fish. And, um, you know, so th- th- that would be the one thing Mercedes and, and, ha- and Lewis... Late at night, for the next couple of weeks, we're thinking about. Oh, I wish Bottas had been quicker.
0: It is interesting, isn't it, to think that Hamilton dominated this race, but not enough. The domination was not substantial enough to guarantee him the buffer that he would have. He probably could have had in a in a, even a, a slightly cleaner race to guarantee everything happening here. And I can't help but think it's a little bit ironic. Even if we go back and compare it to, for example, the United States Grand Prix, where losing pole actually weirdly, weirdly benefited Verstappen in the sense he took a more aggressive mindset. Like Verstappen's approach to this race became aggressive rather than conservative, which you needed at a track that, that relies on track position. Maybe, perversely, all of those little mistakes we've been talking about were the godsend he need needed to be in a race winning position yeah i
1: mean imagine if Verstappen had been leading maybe imagine if Hamilton had given that position back and Verstappen had been leading at the end mm-hmm. but then the safety car came out yeah. then Hamilton would, be, would have taken those new tires and would have got Verstappen on the last lap that's how close this championship is this year that's why we're noticing these differences that's why we're going on about oh my god that was unlucky and he got lucky you know um just think about um Hamilton he drove crap in Imola earlier mm-hmm. on in the year went off the track in the barrier where there was a red flag new tires new wing, and suddenly he finishes second. Mm-hmm. Think about Verstappen with the, the blown tyre in Baku. Think about Bottas taking out both the Red Bulls <laughs> in Hungary. You know, the, the margins are so fine. So we are fo- focusing a lot about luck and mm-hmm. a lot about race control because they are influencing the championship. Um, it's it's just like in the Premier League. You know, Premier League changes fo- changes the regulations a bit and suddenly the rules change a bit. Then the, the, the form of the teams can fluctuate. Um, I remember basketball started getting stricter about people leaving ankles, leaving feet under ankles, and people went jump shots. It changed the complexity of the game again. So that's what's happening here in Formula One. It's close, and that's why I love this year, because it's so close So we are noticing these differences. Um, but yes, it, it does. You can't help but bring it, oh, what if, what if, what if? And let's remind everyone, if backwards is Formula One.
0: then this race, weirdly, was, in a sense, the race the season deserved for that random element. So many different ways to cut just one Grand Prix, as is the case for the whole season. Let's talk about that safety car because that is the defining moment of this race as much as all those other things played into the hand that Verstappen ultimately played so successfully. Safety car comes out lap 53 for Nicholas Latifi crashing his Williams at turn 14. I'm sure there is a life supply of Red Bull in the mail for him. Not that he did anything on purpose, I I I hesitate to say, but just the kind of company Red Bull is. They love to stir it up. This was, as we said, Hamilton could not cover this. He couldn't preemptively pit, obviously wouldn't pit first because Verstappen would just hold track position and, and track position was so important around here. Plus, these tyres were newer than Hamilton's were at the time, so it wouldn't have been quite as easy a call as it was for Verstappen to pass yeah. on that final lap. But what was really interesting here was how the race was resumed. Only five laps to go at this point. It was debatable whether or not we'd even get the racing resumed. In the end, we did with, I think, what, is probably fair to say, admittedly this is all still t- at the time of recording under the threat of protest or threat of an appeal of a protest, a, a bending of the rules: Some cars allowed to unlap themselves, not all the way, and not others. What did you make of this controversy? Because for the first time, uh, well certainly this season obviously... We've had the opportunity to also hear that, that pure frustration of the teams over team radio as well as see what's happened.
1: Uh, where do I start? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I really felt for Hamilton. He'd done everything right, and then they went racing at the end, and he lost the whole championship, not just mm. the win the championship. Uh, and I, I know that McLaren, uh, Mercedes are appealing, and the way that they are appealing about – Safety car, if you're going to let lap traffic through, the safety car has to come in the following lap, not that lap. That's clearly against that rule. So Michael Massey, who is Australian, um, decided to, and a thoroughly nice broke bloke, decided to um, call it in. Now, from the sporting side of things, fantastic. We want to see one more lap of racing. Um, and I know there is a clause somewhere saying that they are trying to ensure we never finish under red flag, no matter what happens. We we will try and get at least one lap racing. I know that that's something the teams want, and they've talked about it in the past. So we'll see where that goes. But you know, it does smack of inconsistencies again, doesn't it? You know, five lap drivers were let through. What about the rest? Yeah. Um, okay, I guess that didn't matter. They wanted to see a grandstand finish, and. Wow, it's going to be tough to call. I, I mean, you just look at that incident. You got to feel, wow, you know, that, that's really not fair for Hampton. I, I, I don't know what's going to happen with Michael Massey. You know, that was a really gutsy call to make. But the main thing is, I don't like how teams can lobby the race director. You know, we saw that for the first time in Jeddah in the penultimate round, mm-hmm. where we see offering them options. And to be honest, the options they offered Mercedes and Red Bull, they kind of agreed to take. And looking at that in isolation, actually. Yeah, I think it was a kind of a clever move to do. It was smart. It was well thought out. Yeah, teams are happy. Carried on. So I was like, oh, okay, that kind of works. But it still shouldn't happen. You know, it's too close. It it makes it too subjective. There are procedures and regulations in place that we need to fall back on in these cases. And yes, we can always improve them. But when you start having this lobbying and stuff, and and it really sounded sus, didn't it? I mean, they weren't going to let the lap traffic through. Mm -hmm. And then... Christian Horner's getting on the phone and saying, No, you need to let the lap traffic through. And the next minute, they're letting the lap traffic through. The optics is he bowed to pressure. I don't know. It might not be that case. Maybe the traffic was, maybe the damage was cleared, the marshals off track, and it was safe to do it. And he changed his mind. But the optics is he bowed to Red Bull pressure. And that looks dodgy. So, so dodgy. So, um, this is going to go on and on.
0: It's particularly the case. And look, we, we'll say that's what it looks like, certainly. And it'll be interesting to see what comes out if that if the appeal does proceed, because we'll get a lot more information, obviously. But the really fascinating part about that is that, as you mentioned, it was five cars that were let through, the five cars that were between Hamilton and Verstappen on the track, Hamilton having already lapped them, Verstappen having not quite yet. Cars behind that were out of position were not allowed through. It was really only the cars, which really does make it appear like it was aimed more at the spectacle than the the sporting fairness, let's say. Certainly Mercedes would have good reason to be aggrieved by that and that's why they're appealing. But I think it's really interesting just to take a step back from from the winners because this is where the effect of that was felt further is that... Carlos Sainz was bottled behind lap cars. Valtteri Bottas was then stuck behind Sainz and was jumped by the Alfa Tauri cars. Now, okay, not really relevant to the championship at all. Uh, and in fact, it, it hardly affected the championship standings at all. Carlos Sainz finished a little bit higher in the end, but that's it. But it's interesting that Verstappen was given the advantage of having clear air in front of him, but Carlos Sainz was not. Carlos Sainz could have finished second in this race. Who knows? You know, greatly speculative, but did not have the opportunity. I mean, how significant is this? You've sort of said it there. I mean, it's it, it appears like, or well, there's certainly the appearance that it, that it's not fair. Is it just a matter that the rules are not specific enough to cover every incident, or is this was one was this one bad call? Let's say, man,
1: F1 rule book is <laughs> you know it's massive, it's long. But <laughs> well, who knows? Maybe it needs to be double. Um, <laughs> I, I I think the rules on the safety car and stuff they're pretty clear. Um, but I, I you know FIA and FOM have to make very clear what's going on behind behind closed doors, they have to answer to what Michael did. Um, they need to say, because I, I also know there are a lot of behind closed doors discussions with the team, where the teams specify, okay, we want this or mm-hmm. we want that, and that doesn't ser- certainly get into the rules all the time. But uh, what I do think needs r- addressing the rules is the rules of engagement for track action. FIA2, they say gives leave space in cars, and they don't enforce it. You know, there's so many things. So they, they, A, they need to be more consistent in the judgments, but I think the rules of where to go and how to leave track limits need to be more specific and need to be done to a different level. And I think you need a driver stewards who are young enough to understand cheating. Uh, the, the, you, know, you need drivers who have grown up in the 90s. <laughs> um, a lot of these drivers grew up in the 70s and 80s, and they're too naive, if you ask me. We need drivers when, when professional fouls were coming to the sport from the Senna era, from the um, Schumacher era, um, when it really was taken to this degree, and you need drivers who understand professional fouls properly, and, and it needs to be written by them. It's um, a good example. Verstappen, the rule book says you must leave a driver space around a corner. So, but Verstappen had turned six; he didn't really leave space for Hamilton, and he had to go off the track. But the rules also say, as long as you stay on the track, you should be okay. So he did stay on the track. So we need diagrams, and, and we need to be more specific to to square up these gray areas because we're going to continue to keep taking advantage of it. And and if the Formula 1 drivers do it, all the junior drivers would do it and it just won't stop. So we need clear direction, whatever that direction is. If the direction just let them race and we just do that, okay, <laughs> that's fine, but it needs to be consistent.
0: It is a massive question. Like you say, it's a generational question because decisions that are made at the top filter down to the bottom and then they're really hard to change once they've sort of soaked in, aren't they? That was the way this, this this race unfolded. It was that safety car that ultimately gave Verstappen uh, the last move, the final move to blow Hamilton off the track, move him past into the lead to claim the championship. A heartbreaking loss for Hamilton, but a great win for Max Verstappen. I just want to touch on a couple of other things through this race, a couple of, like let's say, loose ends for sort of the course of the season. Some great drives, in particular, from from Yuki Tsunoda and Pierre Gasly. They've been very strong all year. Both ran different strategies, really long first stints, Tsunoda in particular on a UC set of mediums the only driver other than the Mercedes to get through to uh, Q3 on mediums which is a real uptick in form for him that Alpha Alpha Tauri lineup didn't manage to jump Alpine in the end but is really strong have managed through the course of the year to pull off some ambitious strategies as a result how much potential do you think is in that lineup for next season when theoretically the team should you're moving a little bit closer to the front
1: well after Tory, you know I, I actually suspect that car's a lot better than everyone realized um i think a lot of people have been saying how good Gasly is and no doubt he's very good but i think it's it's very good car um it, Gasly looks better than we expect sonoda's been so poor most of the year it's great to see him finish on the high you're right his performance in abu dhabi was like fantastic i, I want to see him in the car again next year he deserves another chance but I, I think that car actually is a lot better than we realized. And I think Alpha Tori have done a great job. And I think Red Bull have done a great job because they don't treat that car, that team like a junior team anymore. They treat it like a sister mm-hmm. team, allowed to do its own thing a lot more. And I think that's made the difference. You know, I, I think there was a change in in their direction with that team, which happened a few years ago. And um, I'm pretty excited. Um let's well, I mean, let's see what happens next year. It's 2022, completely different new regulations. And we often see a Jumbling up of the order, so, um, could be could be in for more surprises though.
0: It will be interesting. They managed to keep ahead of the Alpine teammates and Lando Norris, who suffered a puncture through the race that compromised his Grand Prix. Finally, though, I want to talk about Charles Leclerc, who finished 10th on a two-stop strategy. Second stop was kind of speculative behind the virtual safety car after he was jumped by Bottas, who did run long but lost places uh, at the safety car restart. And compare him to Carlos Sainz, the podium getter, finished third. Could it have been second? Probably not, but it's nice to think that it might have been. Sainz finished ahead of Leclerc in the driver's standings in the end, so that is something he did gain from this one he's really come on form towards the end of this season the he is a little bit a little bit ragged let's say if on, on occasion particularly i'm thinking of him as one example how much potential does that driver lineup have ferrari you know has a lot more potential as a team you can only imagine considering the money and the resources they have how strong is this lineup and is there a risk that these teammates are too closely matched for harmony if indeed they get a, a race winning car next year
1: I don't think so. I think the new Ferrari can handle two strong number one drivers. Um, they're part of the current crop, the new crop. Um, and, you know, you've seen Hamilton and Verstappen take a level up. And I'm interested to see which of the new crop can, can do that, you know, because the level they're at right now is amazing. So I certainly think Leclerc and Science are capable of making that step. Um, I think if the car is more competitive, you will see those drivers just unconsciously take another step. There's something about racing for the wins and championships and just raises your level. So to answer your question, yes, I think it's a good lineup. I don't think we need to change it. And, and they just need to get the car right.
0: That's absolutely the case with Ferrari, isn't it? It was a fascinating conclusion to the 2021 championship season. Dramatic conclusion, a bit of a microcosm of this year. Like you said, not only do we have a real great crop of drivers, not only in the top 10, but throughout the field, but we now have a new world champion in Max Verstappen to really amp up that rivalry for 2022. I can't wait to see how it unfolded. Alex, a real pleasure to sum up this season and the last race with you today.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me, mate. And I can't wait to 2022.
0: What a season and what a final race. Lewis Hamilton would have of course deserved the title had he ground out victory in the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix and it's fair enough to empathise with his disappointment. But unquestionably Max Verstappen's championship is meritorious. At no point this year has the 24-year-old looked even close to being overawed by the task of overcoming one of Formula 1's all-time greats and he's been almost flawless in piecing together his first ever championship campaign. Mercedes has notified of its intention to appeal the results, and if it proceeds, it could be a long-running legal drama. But this season won't be remembered for its chaotic final lap. It will be remembered as one of Formula One's greatest ever years, and we're all so lucky to have witnessed it. Congratulations to Max Verstappen, the new world champion. The Strategy Report is powered by Apex Race Manager, the mobile race strategy simulator. Download Apex Race Manager for free for iOS and Android devices. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to the F1 Strategy Report with your favourite podcast app to ensure you never miss an episode. And if you like the show, please leave us a rating and a review to help spread the word. You can also find us on social media. The Strategy Report is a beer mobile podcast. Special thanks to Ben Loke from Bloke Designs for the show artwork and our theme music is by Simon Hosford. And so that's it. Another season in the books and Max Verstappen crowned world champion. It's been a pleasure to be joined by every one of our 22 guests over the course of this roller coaster of a season. A big thanks to all of them, especially this week's guest, Alex Jung. And a big thanks, of course, to you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed taking a look at the workings of each Grand Prix as much as I've enjoyed putting together the podcast every round. My name's Michael laminato I hope you stay safe and well this off-season, and I can't wait to do it all again in 2022. Catch you then.